just some things we need to be reminded of as a church. We need to be reminded that the battle is real. Okay? But the outcome is unanimous. And the hope is real. And that's what the Lord put in my heart for you guys today. I, I pray that it, it touches your heart. I truly do, do pray because I feel so limited when I speak. But I'd ask you to turn, please, to uh, Genesis chapter 3, 12 to 15. Verse 12, it says, Then the man said, The woman whom you gave me, gave to me, with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Just concentrate on verse 15. Um, basically, we all know the story. Adam and Eve rebel, along with the help of the serpent, who is Satan himself. And they rebel. So in chapter 3, verse 15, the, lo the Lord is laying things out for, for the enemy. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his head. That's where it starts. This battle that's raging and will keep raging. Not in our lives, forever, but until the Lord comes and raptures us. And that will be a glorious day. But from the beginning, there would be animosity between the woman, who represents mankind, and eventually Jesus on the cross, and the serpent, who is a devil. And so it has been from the beginning of time. The enemy, the devil, has been persecuting Israel as a people and mankind in general, guys. Always with either direct attacks, indefinite periods of captivity, whether it be physical captivity or to sin, division, and suffering, sometimes prolonged suffering. At every turn, Satan was making trouble for God's people. Can you guys think of any times? We can see the attack of Satan on the servant of God, Job. Job couldn't stand to see how this faithful servant of God was prospering. So when God brought it to his attention even further, it irked him. It bothered him. It bothered him, and the battle was on. Okay? The battle was on. First, he started by destroying Job's family, took all his possessions, ruined his health, but yet in all, in all, Job never cursed God our Father. Can we say the same thing of ourselves? That's something we need to meditate on. We need to ponder on that. How do we get when the enemy's attacks come? Are we thankful? Are we strong in the Lord? 
Unfortunately, more often, no. More often times than not. Okay? But we're people, and the Lord sees that. And we're weak. And he provides a solution in Christ. We also see that um, the enemy went after the chosen people. He went after Israel. We're all familiar with the story of, of Exodus, chapters 1 through 4, where uh, the family of Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, was living a time of famine. So they ended up going to Egypt, right? And by God's sovereign hand, and the virtue of the fact that he had his hand upon Joseph, Jacob's son, they prospered, right? They prospered. They got to the point where, where he was second in command only to the Pharaoh, and they multiplied, I mean, greatly, greatly. From one family, they became a whole nation. The enemy saw this, and he stirred up Pharaoh. It had been several generations since those who were in favor of Joseph were around anymore. So they forgot. They just saw this tremendous people that was fruitful, multiplying. I mean, they even sent out an edict to, to the midwives for them to be a stumbling block for the Israeli women to, to, to have babies. And they said, you know, we can't do anything. They're just so strong. Before we, we come to help, they've already shot them out, right? Then he, he makes an edict of, of having all the, the uh, firstborn males, all the babies, put to death, right? And not even that works. But we do see the evilness of the enemy through the pharaohs. We see the, the evilness of, of, of the serpent, of that old creature known as Satan. The Lord raises up Moses. He saves one child in particular. He raises up Moses, that child, to be the liberator of, of Israel. And we know the story. Through, through the parted sea, through the desert, eventually into the promised land. But we see, we continue to see the enemy at work. The enemy going against the people of God. We don't, it's not only that. We see it in an even a more personal matter with King David himself. The man right? King David the man, the man after God's own heart. Even he succumbed to the temptations, to the evilness injected by the enemy. From being the proudest king, the best servant of the Lord, he was relinquished to being an adulterer, a fornicator, a liar, and a murderer. So you think about it. Is the battle real? It's most definitely real. It's most definitely real. And we have to, we have to remember what, what, it, what 1 Peter 5.8 says. It says, we need to be sober. 
we need to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may desire, devour. Excuse me. And it's not just a historical thing. It's a life now. We see it all the time. I mean, we, society is running rampant, right? It's running rampant, and it's, and it's only natural because it's a society without God in their life. We see all sorts of, of deception, adultery, drug addiction, pornography, murder, human trafficking, abortion. These are all atrocities. This is all a frontal attack on the people of God, on the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's horrible. I mean, it's so bad that it hits the church, the church as the body of Christ and the church as a local group, a local family. We've all been singed. We've been set so close to the fire that even the hair on our arms have been burnt. We've been hit by sin, sudden illness, divorce, such atrocities that don't belong in the family of God. Because we've, we're lulled to sleep. We don't believe the devil exists. We believe it's a fairy tale. We put our, heart, our guards down. We're not in prayer. We're not in fellowship. We're not worshiping the living God. We're worshiping ourselves, things, this world. We need to wake up. You know, we, we've been hit hard. Special people have left us. Special people have been hurt. But I still believe, guys, we're a Romans 8.28 church. We're a Romans 8.28 family. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So we need to remember what 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Not tr I'm not trying to be heartless, guys. I'm not trying to be without compassion. But we need to realize that we have a hope. We're not the only ones in this situation. We have brothers and sisters who, are con who will console us with open arms, who will counsel us with an open mind and an open heart. But more greatly and more powerfully and more importantly, we have the arms of the Holy Spirit to reside in, to reside in God's spirit and let him dwell in us. It gets tough. It gets tough. But we have that hope. We have that hope. So, guys, the battle, it's, it's real. It's real. Let's not fall asleep. Let's not uh, be surprised. So the battle is real, but guys, the outcome, the outcome is unanimous, guys. We win. 
we win. The Lord has won already. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 56, it says, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immorality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to put on, these corruptible bodies are going to be made incorruptible. This mortal life is going to be eternal. Why? Because death has been vanquished. I don't know, I get this. I know it was done by, by, by the Lord's work. On the cross, suffering, dying, and resurrecting and ascending and sitting at the right hand of the Father. I know all that. But I can't help to close my eyes and see a victorious Jesus with sword in his hand, dressed with the armor of God, and saying, onward, people, onward. The outcome is unanimous. We just have to live in it. We just have to abide in it. We need to keep going. It's it's just such an awesome passage. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law, but thanks be to who? God, who gives us the what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 37 to 39 says, Yet in all these things we are more than what? Conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angel nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other thing created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate us? The enemy's tactics, that might kill our bodies, but we can't be separated from the love of Christ. The work has been done. It's unanimous. We're victorious in him. We're more than conquerors. So think about it. Our biggest fear is humans. Death and the power of Hades. You guys know what Hades is? Hell. The grave. Before knowing Christ, we fear death to no end. Because in the deepest part of our heart of hearts, we knew there was a chance of us being in hell. But if we hang on to this truth, knowing that the Lord has triumphed, he has vanquished the enemy, he has defeated death, we have hope, a true hope. Okay, guys? Our biggest fear is humans. Death and the power of Hades have been vanquished, destroyed, annihilated by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. His crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. So we need to remind our enemy that he has lost. He's got no business with us, guys. We need to remind him that he has lost. He will not take us down because we, per- we pertain to someone. Who do we pertain to? Jesus, we are are children of God if we are born again. 
if we know him as our personal Savior. So knowing these truths, guys, how should it affect the, we, the way we live? I think it should have more than a profound impact. It should be just life transforming. Not only are we a royal priesthood, not only are we children of God, but we're going to heaven. How should people who are going to heaven live? Should we live in fear? Should we live with our heads bent down? The only time we should have our heads bent down is when we come in humility before the Lord. So how, how should it impact every detail of how you live? It cracks me up when I go to work in the morning. Um, I, I, I don't want to preach to her because she's my coworker and she's a sister in the Lord. But she always comes in with this God-awful long face. I hope she doesn't hear this. She is a fine lady. But she just says, I'm not a morning person. I'm thinking to myself, if a Christian can't be a morning person, who can be? Right? What does it say in Lamentations 3.23? His compassions are renewed every morning. We should be able to look up and smile at the world. I know I'm being... uh, Less than real sometimes, but really, that should impact your life. A dearly loved brother of mine who unfortunately doesn't, doesn't attend this church anymore once said, don't let the enemy steal your joy. That's good advice. Because our joy doesn't depend on our circumstances. It depends upon a victory, a victory that we already have. The Lord is good. Amen? So how should it affect the way we live? We should be the happiest people on earth. And don't get me going on Disneyland, guys. I I talked about that once already. But we don't need to go to Disneyland. I mean, we can once every two or three years. But, man, to have your dinner there every other night, that's crazy. (laughs) I don't need that. Can't afford that anyway. So we need to live our lives starting from a point of victory, right? We say it's an uphill battle. You know what? We're on the diving board already, guys. Jump in. Take life as the Lord gives it to you. We stand in Christ. We stand in Christ, guys. Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13 says, Dear friends, this is from the NLT. Okay, you guys have it there in the New King James, but I I like this passage. It says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions. This is Paul speaking to the Philippian church. Dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. So when does the work come? Prior to salvation? After and we're working hard to do what? In, in the New King James, it says, work it out with what? Fear and trembling. It says here, work hard to show that you are saved. That means live a life 
that's proper. Live a life that's joyful. Live a life that gives a living testimony to the world of who you are in Christ and who your Savior is. Beautiful passage. Verse 13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So how are we empowered to do that? By God Himself. It's an amazing thing. So the outcome is unanimous. I mean, the battle is real. The outcome is unanimous. We're, we're in it. And we've won it. And my brother Carlos used to, to say, say about this certain person, he is in it to win it. And I used to say, man, that's such a good saying. But we're already, we've already won it, and we're in it, guys. So let's, let's live in a way that shows that we're in it to win it, guys. Let's, let's improve our attitudes, improve our outlook, look upon each other as brothers and sisters. Because that's what we are. We're not secondary family. We're the most anointed, blessed family. Because we're, we're, we're united by what? The blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God. Guys. Let's remember that. So the battle is real. The outcome is unanimous. So that should affect our lives. And the hope, the hope is true. Okay, guys? Let me read what it says in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant, abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and, non, and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of who? God. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are already saved. But when he, what he refers to is that last day, where we're no longer going to even be in the presence of sin. Right now we're saved, but we're still in the presence of sin. But in that last time, in the rapture, in the resurrection, we're going to be away from the presence of sin. So we should always stop and think about this, this hope we have. Made it, meditate on it. We need to figure out where and whom we received it from. Who did it come from? Is it something we dreamt up? Is it um, some sort of motto? Is it, is it uh, um, a procedure or a process we do as church people? No. It came freely from God. But it wasn't cheap came freely, but the price was tremendous, above all reason. Above all reason, his only begotten son paid the price. So we need to appreciate it and praise God the Father for it. Appreciate it, I don't know, it, it's, it lacks something in the, in the English vernacular. It really does. Uh, to show value, to show worth. I think about saying it in Spanish. In Spanish, we say, necesitamos apreciar. It's, it's just, I don't know. I wish you guys could be Hispanic for a moment and understand, understand how that really, really 
resonates in my mind, in my heart, tenemos que apreciar. We need to appreciate that salvation. We need to put value upon it. I mean, it's not like appreciating my, my Labrador retriever. It's not like appreciating my good job. No, it's, man, this is a beautiful commodity. This is a jewel. This is the treasure of treasures, and I need to appreciate that someone gave it to me. And that someone is God the Father in his abundant mercy and his love. He has provided the way through our Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. So while salvation is free to us, it is not cheap. It came at a tremendous price. I love the term in this verse that says living hope. You guys ever heard, stop and ponder and, and meditate on what living hope means? It's not a what if hope. Okay? It's not a what if hope. Or maybe if this happens kind of hope. Or I wonder if God's going to come through kind of hope. It's not that kind of hope. We, live those, we leave those kind of hopes to Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. Okay? Because we know those people are actually us, and our children are hoping, hoping that we can put that dollar under the pillow and we can put that bike underneath the Christmas tree. It's, it's truly uncertain. It's truly uncertain. But in God, we can depend. It's a living hope. We can stand in it, guide our lives by it, and just have joy because of it. God's hope is, I'm a living it, in it kind of hope. I'm all, it's already been done kind of hope. Because you see, Jesus is already resurrected. Last time I checked, the tomb was empty. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, guys. That's the kind of hope we have. We don't have to worry about the fact that maybe God will love us. He already loved us. He already, already gave us the gift. We just need to believe. That's man's responsibility. I don't believe we're brought into heaven against our own will. I don't believe, I believe in election, but we'll get into that on a later date. But I don't think it's a type of election where you say, okay, uh, Brother Ignacio, you're in. I don't care what you think, you're in. You don't love me, you're in. No. There is a responsibility, human responsibility of saying yes. Okay? We need to say yes. And just then preside in his presence. It's a guaranteed inheritance. We read that was inheritance in that passage. It's not a family bank trust, okay, guys? The kind of thing where we, we got to see what happens when that person dies kind of promise. No. No. It's a guarantee. It's an inheritance. It's a father's trust signed in his own son's blood. Can you think of that? It's a father's trust signed in his own son's blood. It's incorruptible, unchangeable. It can't go bad. It can't go rotten. As one um, commentary says, it's an, an undeathable inheritance. It can't be changed. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't become less real the more time passes. The more time passes, on the contrary, it becomes more real. 
because you're closer to your inheritance. You can't be blemished. You can't be damaged. It won't slowly disappear. You have a forever reservation in heaven. You guys ever go to a, a, a restaurant and say, man, I have a reservation. How cool is that? Best restaurant in Pasadena. I have a reservation. Two things. Okay? That reservation might be canceled without any notice. And second thing, that restaurant might not be any good. Okay? Our reservation in heaven is guaranteed. And it's protected by this great power. It's not under key and chain. It's not in this fancy computerized vault that can't be opened by anyone. Because that can be done. It's protected by someone's power. Whose power is that? The power of the Father himself. The power of God. It's an amazing thing, guys. You have a forever reservation in heaven. Not under lock and key. Not under a vault. It's protected and reserved by the creator himself. God himself. You can't get more power than that. Just in case you were wondering. Okay, guys? Just believe. Just believe. We are saved from the penalty of sin as soon as you trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, as soon as you confess your sins, as soon as you repent. Because in Ephesians 2.8 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We are saved from the presence of sin at the rapture, guys. Amazing stuff, huh? The Lord's good. The Lord's good. And just to close, guys, I was trying to think, how do I make this a Christmas message, right? Well, we've, we've spoken about the gift. We've spoken about the gift. It's Beautiful. More beautiful than you can imagine. And that gift, he is forever because that gift is Christ. It's Jesus. You know, and I think sometimes as Bible teachers, we choose not to share certain obvious things that every Christian in the world knows. You know, but sometimes when we do that, we're negating the fact that the Lord wants to talk to someone personally. And we say, no, I can't use 316 in my study. What are the people going to think? He's a country bumpkin. He doesn't know his word. He only relies on those words that everyone knows. No, God's word is forever. God's truths are forever. And the gift, this incredible gift, is plainly stated in John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can't think of a better Christmas gift than that. A life of eternity in the presence of God that starts with a little Jewish boy. Can you guys imagine that? It starts with a little Jewish boy in a manger. Amen? And why don't we go to... um, Matthew one twenty one, real quick, just to close. 
I kept thinking, how do I tie this up and make it a make it a Christmas message? And this is the bow that ties everything up. It says, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For what? He will save his people from their sins. That's the victory. Amen, guys? The Lord is awesome. The Lord is wonderful.